Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He should love he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Have you ever, if you're a driver, have you ever experienced the frustration of a steering wheel that is veering away? and you have to actually use some force to try to bring the steering wheel back, and it's because there's some kind of misalignment uh, with the steering wheel, with the wheels. Um, what's helpful is when you have those car lanes, and at least those lanes guide you. Those lanes, even though there's some force that's trying to veer you off, those lanes are guiding you, and you know where to come back to, okay? A lot of life is like that. If life uh, and, and our hearts, our thoughts are like the steering wheel, the misaligned car, there's something in us that, that often tends to and wants to sort of veer off. And so we need good, healthy lanes in life, so to speak, to, to show us which way to go. Um, no less true for marriage. In marriage, when you have two self-centered uh, people, and even at best, um, let's say mature Christians, uh, even mature Christians until we are glorified on that final day and, and made perfect, there's going to be some ugly head of self-centeredness self-centeredness that keeps rearing itself, and, and it sort of wants to get us to veer off. And so we need to continually come back to Scripture uh, and more specifically, in Scripture, we need to keep coming back to Christ, uh, Jesus, who he is, and how he has loved the church, uh, and the gospel, grace. Uh, those are the lines, so to speak. And even though there's something in our hearts that wants to veer off, um, Jesus and his gospel, how he has loved the church, is what keeps us going straight and in the right direction. Okay? Um, 33 verses 50. 50% uh, is the general stat, the rough stat of uh, the, the divorce rate, at least in North America. And as more accurate research has been done, uh, it's been shown 33% uh, is actually the number, of the divorce rate amongst sincere Christians. We're not talking about nominal Christians, just people who call themselves Christian or just tick off a box in the census. Um, but people who are 
staying in Scripture, um, have a regular rhythm of prayer, uh, connecting with God, but also in the marriage between husband and wife, trying to do their best to pray together, and, of course, participation uh, in a local church, so, meaning sincere disciples. And this research has shown that um, faith and following Christ and having grace in your life, it really does make a significant difference in terms of the strength and, and just uh, viability of a marriage, okay? And so again, just to sort of illustrate uh, why we need those lines, uh, and, and even though there might be something that in our hearts wants to be misaligned and veer off. And so today, again, I, I offer you this same prayer that I, I, I don't know how many weeks it's been, maybe four or five, but just the same prayer uh, as a summary of, of the message and the passage. Uh, and it's something, a prayer that we need to keep coming back to, that I need to keep coming back to. The, the ugly head of self-centeredness in me rears itself every day in my life and in my marriage no less. And I have to keep crucifying that. And so this prayer, I pray for our congregation, for myself. Lord, fill us with your spirit to faithfully live out gospel-reflecting wifehood and husbandhood, both as Christ's bride. Now, singles, again, just to, I hope you're able to make the applications in your own uh, head as, as you're tracking along with this message. This prayer still applies to you because even as a single, you are in the most profound sense married as a Christ-following single. You're married to Christ because you are his church, you are his bride. And so even as uh, socially a single, you're living out a certain covenant and commitment in your life with Christ uh, as your, the, the one uh, just bearing a, a spousal kind of love in your life, okay? So I want to ask um, just three, or we might get to four questions today, but just to start off first, how does the husband lay down his life for his wife? We're really just slowly chewing on these verses it's so dense, and even Paul says, this is profound. This mystery is profound. These verses 22 to 33, it's just a paragraph, but there is so much to just chew on and, and just suck out and, and really meditate on uh, in these verses. And so make no apology, just slowly working through this over several weeks. And so now uh, we come to the verse, and hopefully you noticed it as Trevor was reading it. Uh, husbands uh, lay down or love your wives as Christ loved the church uh, as he laid down his life for her. So first I want to start by asking how. How does the husband lay down his life for his wife? Uh, and then a few more questions after that. One of the best illustrations that I can think of um, in terms of just to kind of get us into the mindset of what it means to lay down your life uh, perhaps you saw Saving Private Ryan um, 24 years ago. It came out. And one of the most moving scenes is uh, Tom Hanks's Captain John Miller was on a mission to find uh, Matt Damon's Private Ryan, uh, the young Private Ryan, because both his brothers had died in the war, and there was this uh, principle to get uh, a surviving son back to the family so that they could have at least one son 
And so the story is about this mission of Captain John Miller looking for Private Ryan, and he finds him, but in sort of a, you know, a culminating scene on a bridge, uh, Captain Miller is fatally wounded. And, and in a last moment with Private Ryan, uh, he says to him, earn this, earn this, meaning the sacrifice I've laid down so that you can live and get back to your family, earn this. And so at the end of the movie, you see an elderly uh, Private Ryan at the gravesite of Captain Miller. And obviously, he's uh, memorializing him. Uh, he's trying to remember him. And, and he says to him in private in this scene, every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. And I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. And so he was trying to earn the life that he had been given. He was literally saved, physically saved. And when his wife approached, he begged her, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I'm a good man. To which his wife immediately replied, you are. To see that Ryan truly lived his life according to Miller's last words is both heartbreaking uh, and inspirational. And, and it moves me even as I kind of tell this story. And it's, it's a shadow. It, it, it's, it's kind of like how the gospel is supposed to work in us. Okay? But there's a very important subtle difference. If you can imagine it was Jesus as Captain Miller and it's you and me as Private Ryan, I don't think so much he would say, earn this, but he would say, overflow this. Overflow this. This sacrifice of me laying down my life for you so that you could live, you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Because Christ is the only one who can truly go before the Father, has gone before the Father, and been the one perfect sacrifice in history to give us life. And so we can't earn it. We can't earn our salvation. But I think Jesus might say, overflow this. And so this is what we need to see, I think, what Paul wants us to see when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Certainly, as we're saved by grace, even in the same letter, Paul says earlier in chapter 2, we're saved by grace uh, through faith, not by our own works so that we can boast, but we've been saved to do good works prepared in advance for us. So we don't earn our salvation, but certainly as God's grace captures us and is doing an internal work, we're meant to overflow the life that Private Ryan was desperately trying to live out to sort of prove that, you know, his gratitude towards the sacrifice of Captain Miller. And so how much more for you and me as people who believe in this historical Jesus and what he claims to have done for you and me. And so now, specifically to husbands, this is the driving force. This is the driving impetus, the, the motivation, the energy through which we will lay down our lives and love our wives uh, in spite of her good or bad days. Now, simultaneously, 
the same for the wives. The way you will continue to be willing to respect your husband, to submit as the Bible calls us to, uh, to him, even on his bad days where he's not living up to an ideal uh, of, of Christ-likeness, to still believe in the calling that is on his life to be spiritual head. This is what's going to make it possible. Okay. So first to husbands, uh, do you remember that you are the church and that you also need to be sanctified? Because yes, the, the verse we just read, taken at face value, plain and simple at first, it's a direct, concrete instruction of Paul to husbands. Husbands, this is how you're going to love your wives if you're following Christ. But then Paul quickly pivots to talking about something even more transcendent, more eternal, which is how Christ has loved the church. And so again, husbands, if, if you're approaching this passage with humility, then you'll see that this instruction actually applies to you as well, that you are the church, you're part of Christ's bride, and so therefore you also need to be sanctified, cleansed by the word, and presented to Christ in splendor without blemish in holiness. Uh, And so, again, coming back to not earn it by how you're going to love your wife, to muster up this willpower and to to prove that you're holy. No, you're going to overflow. You're going to overflow it. So when Paul says, love your wives, let's define it. I know about you, but I always appreciate definitions and and just helps me to make sense of life. Uh, and so Paul says, love your wives. Husband, love your wives. What is, how do you define that? And from the passage, we can see that loving your wife means giving yourself up for her, as Christ made himself vulnerable for the church, literally giving up his very life, his blood, uh, his spirit, uh, his service, everything about him, his entire being, he gave it up for her and really in the greatest moment of vulnerability in history, Christ just bearing our sins, naked and ashamed on the cross, taking our shame, okay? So loving your wives, foundationally, fundamentally, what's most important is that you give yourself up for your wife, okay? It's not the flowers, as wonderful as that might be, and your wife might appreciate that. Uh, It's not just the, the the doting words as much as that might be wonderful that is and that actually is her love language you you distill it and you boil it down and what we as first husbands need to make sure that we're doing as an overflow is that we're giving up ourselves for her as well so what what this means is uh, we need Christ's grace we need Christ's grace Okay? The only way we're going to be able to put ourselves out there as well, now I'm, I'm speaking directly to husbands right now, the only way we're going to be able to put ourselves out there, because sacrificing yourself, it, there is some vulnerability to it. Because wives, your husbands are, are tender human beings too. Uh, and for better and worse, we have egos. And if you don't necessarily respond well to, let's say, our effort to to serve or love or to be transparent, then our initial response is, is human. 
And there can be insecurity, and maybe that's why sometimes we, we react, albeit perhaps not in the most honorable way, perhaps, in that moment. And so husbands, if we're going to continue to uh, lay down our lives, and that's a vulnerable thing, to risk yourself, right? To risk yourself. You, you think of soldiers who have gone to war for your freedom, and I'm sure at some point there's a thought process the people back home that I'm putting my life on the line for, are they worth it? And, and, and there's some sense of vulnerability there and, and just putting yourself out there, right? And that's why we call it the ultimate sacrifice as well. So all the more, this has to be an overflow because if you don't have Christ's grace and you're not starting from the place of receiving this kind of love from Christ, then it's going to make yourself, putting yourself out there, very insecure. And so we need Christ's grace to secure our vows and make one another feel safe and confident to be vulnerable. So the husband, in laying down his life, he can have the secure, rock-solid thought, this is worth it, because of how Christ has loved me first. How he laid himself out on the cross for me, took my shame, and he secured my salvation, and I can be confident in my identity in him, my eternity, that I am loved in him, and therefore, being secure in that, I'm going to sacrificially love my wife, no matter the results, no matter the results. And so it makes, Christ's grace is what cements the vows that you made on that beautiful day. In sickness and in health, for better and worse, until death do us part. It's Christ's grace that becomes the, the crazy glue, the, the divine glue that will hold those vows together and make you feel safe to keep putting yourself out there. Okay? We need Christ's grace also, therefore, then, just a natural next thought to that is we need Christ's grace to provide room to grow for one another. Um, since we're addressing husbands directly right now, wives, um, please, 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 don't see your husbands falsely as someone who can be perfect or expect them to be perfect. They're not. And again, whenever I address one, instantaneously, the same applies the other way around as well. Husbands, don't expect your wives to be perfect. And so we need Christ's grace to provide room. And Christ's grace is what provides room for one another to grow. Okay? We need Christ's grace um, Sorry, I'll, just let me read a, a beautiful quote from uh, Tim Keller's uh, The Meaning of Marriage. And he just captures this more beautifully than I could. Uh, and so I offer this thought of his. When over the years, someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all your strengths and flaws, yet commits him or herself to you wholly, it is a consummate experience. 
to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So where it all starts is if you're secure in Christ's love for you, and so let's, let's, let's not forget, the husband does have first responsibility. That is just God's, on one hand, the best answer I can give you to that is just, it's because God has designed it that way. <laughs> of course, I can give you more elaborate answers that it reflects even God himself and his image and the Trinity and so forth. But the husband has first responsibility as spiritual leader. And so, husband, what, what Paul is appealing to you and me for is let's be the first domino that falls. Let us live into that first spiritual leadership responsibility and do our work as an overflow of grace to make sure we're secure in Christ. And of course, the wife has her responsibility as well, and she'll be held accountable as well. But what I want you to see is that we need Christ's grace. We need Christ's grace and the sacrificial love. So let's ask now, why? Why does the husband lay down his life for his wife? Why? The how is to remember, um, lay down your life, as love your wives as Christ loved the church as he gave himself up for her. Okay, a certain sacrificial love. Now why? Why does the husband do this? What's our motivation? And there's a beautiful motivation that Paul provides, what was even Christ's motivation as he looks at you and me, husband and wife, single, uh, all together, that he might sanctify her. And this word sanctify, it, it, it has several layers. First, it just means to be made beautiful, to, to be made clean and fresh. Uh, it, it also means to take something that was not holy, that was uh, just profane, that was condemned, and to completely, 110% transfer it to being holy, acceptable, beautiful, cleansed. And so we see first that Christ, why? Why did he come to this earth? Why did he obey the Father? Why did he... Um, why was he willing to become incarnate and found himself humbled in the form of a babe, fragile, and experiencing everything that we do as humans? Why did he go to the cross and have his hands and feet pierced for our sins? Why? Of course, the, 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 the ultimate answer is God's glory, his own glory. But how God's glory manifests is for you and me as his church, those who will place faith in Jesus to be sanctified, and as Paul elaborates, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And this word here most importantly means first the gospel, but it could also mean all of scripture. And so gave himself up for her, right? So remember we're defining. What does it mean to love as Christ loved? It means giving yourself up 
for your wife as Christ gave himself up for the church. But what does it mean that Christ gave himself up for her? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You got to be careful not to oversimplify uh, faith and Christianity. Um, And it's not a formula, certainly. And so that's not my intent in, in this next thought. But one helpful litmus test, husbands, uh, for how you are spiritually leading is as you lay down your life, as you're trying to serve her, think of her first, think of her needs to spiritually lead, is can you see overall the fruit that she is maturing, that she is being sanctified, that there's a sense of her growing more and more into the woman that Christ has redeemed her to be, okay? Another thought by a commentator that this was profound, uh, just even this instruction of Paul to his audience at the time, because primarily during Paul's time in culture, the purpose of marriage was just to upgrade and secure uh, your social status essentially, okay, and to find stability. And that has rung true through a lot of ancient cultures. Um, And it's still somewhat true today. But today, all the more, at least in our Western culture, you see the theme of romance and uh, just actualizing your full potential, that this person is going to serve my full potential, uh, that as a, a dominant theme as well. But the traditional theme is still there too, even uh, in today's culture. But what Paul points to is that uh, husbands, as they overflow Jesus' sacrificial love uh, toward the church, the bride, husbands as well, as they lay down their lives and they're to sanctify uh, the wife, they're, they're supposed to have this presence in her life to help her become holy and blameless. And so what he wants is, it's not self-serving. The husband isn't doing this to up his game. But his motive, his first desire is that she would be built up. Okay, this was radical for Paul's time. And I think it is still radical for our time as well. Especially if you've drunk the Kool-Aid of, I gotta find that perfect partner that fits me that helps me become everything that I want to be, that will uh, upgrade and, and give me advantage in my life and meet my needs. Okay? This is uh, antithetically the, the, the diametric opposite. So, in, in your husbandhood, is there this overall fruit? And can you... Say, if you have an honest conversation between husband and wife, uh, husband, has the way you have been leading and being a husband led to uh, just more Christ-likeness for the wife? Okay? Now, how do you inspire this? Of course, it can't just be, you know, the the temptation for parents, and we can approach uh, marriage like parenting as well, just barking louder, threatening, right? It works with kids. <laughs> Does it overall produce healthy human beings? Probably not. 
Um, but it works. And so, sure, you could approach marriage that way too, but that's not what Scripture is prescribing, and, and please don't go away misunderstanding uh, what I just said. That's not what I'm prescribing. Um, so how is the husband to inspire his wife's maturation? Th- this is a daunting task. It, it seems like something that should only be reserved for the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, it, it really is the Holy Spirit who can only change any person's heart. But still, what God is saying here through Paul is that, husband, you have agency. You do have a part in your wife's maturation. Again, simultaneously, instantaneously, the wife as well, as she submits to the husband, because the husband is also meant to be sanctified and made holy because he's the church, the wife has agency as well. You play a role in part in your husband's maturation. But let's talk about the husbands right now because uh, Paul is addressing the husbands, uh, like very directly. So how is the husband going to inspire his wife's maturation? If we take these definitions and work backwards, what does it mean for the husband to love the wife? It means to give himself up and serve and think of her first as Christ loved the church. And what does it mean to give yourself up? It means that your intent is to bring about this sanctification and, and, and just encouraging her in her maturation. So where it all starts is the sacrificial love. It's this wooing, in a sense. Wooing her heart through your sincere, sacrificial overflow of Christ's serving heart. Husbands, you want to have the clear conscience when you stand before God that in spite of how your wife responded to your effort to demonstrate Christ-like sacrificial love, you want to have the clear conscience that you gave, you, you, you took every ounce of grace that God gave you to try to overflow this kind of sacrificial love. You want to have that clear conscience. Again, instantaneously, simultaneously. Wives, when you stand before God on that final day, you want to have clear conscience that, that by God's grace overflowing in you and as to the Lord that you did your best to respect your husband, to submit to his spiritual leadership, okay? But again, coming back to the husbands. But do that heart check. This is an ongoing discipleship that needs to be a part of our lives to overflow, the way we're going to inspire her maturation is to be that first responsibility, that first domino to fall of sacrificial serving love and thinking of her first. Uh, If you love love stories, um, maybe you'll recognize this scene. If you recognize it, it you're probably old like me. Um, But the Princess Bride. And the tale is of... uh, Princess Buttercup, and she had fallen in love, uh, and uh, a a servant named Wesley, they fell in love, but then he had to go off uh, to uh, make money to be able to afford marrying her, like to provide a life, Uh, and then she got word that he was killed by a pirate, and then uh, as she was going on with her life, uh, eventually she was being... um, taken away by three bandits, and then this pirate shows up and frees her from the bandits and takes her, but she thinks now this pirate is holding her captive. Now, when Wesley and Buttercup were courting each other, that sort of repeated line, partly what made her fall in love with him was 
whenever she requested something, his, his response was, as you wish, right? As you wish. Um, don't take the wrong message there. It's not, wives, this is not warrant for you to just demand docility and, and, and just husbands can do whatever uh, you wish, but, but see the heart, that serving heart, okay? That's the point of this. Now, as she was with this pirate, and they were bickering, they're fighting, and then eventually she pushes him down this hill, and she thinks now she's free, and he yells out as he's rolling down, as you wish, and then her eyes open up, and she realizes it's her Wesley, okay? So why I'm saying all this, we're asking the question, how, how will the husband inspire I think what the Bible's getting at is where we should start, with the, the, the muscle that husbands should really focus on building is Christ-like service, okay? Christ-like service. And, and so as she sees that Christ-like overflowing service, not out of spite, not out of bitterness, not out of just cold duty, but she sees your effort to try to mature into that course it's not gonna be perfect you're not always gonna have a smile on your face as you're as you're trying to serve this way but as she sees that it's sort of be like that trigger as you wish she recognizes and hopefully she'll see Christ's love in your love okay that that's how this is supposed to happen so why does the husband lay down his life for his wife finally let's remember again this is the, the healthy, uh, just uh, check and balance. It's also, remember, as your husband's trying to live into this, it's so that you too can be sanctified. Because that's definitely going to refine you. As you seek to serve your wife as Christ loved the church, to think of her needs, to try to understand what her needs are and so forth, that's going to sanctify you. That's going to draw out your own weaknesses. That's going to draw out your own self-centeredness. But that's kind of the point. Because you are the church, and you simultaneously, even as the mandate is for you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, but you're the church that Christ loved. So that you can be sanctified as well. So for whom? For whom does the husband lay down his life? This is a bit of a trick question because I know automatically you're thinking, of course, it's the wife. But let's go a little bit deeper. For whom? Okay. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. How did Christ see you and me on the cross? Did he, did he, was he hanging on the cross in spite of you better appreciate what I'm doing for you, you sinner. All of humanity, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it. No, that, that's, that wasn't Christ. If we're to take other scriptures like Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, what was part of his joy? We see that so that he might, he had a vision of you and me. He might present the church to himself in splendor. And so we can speak of our splendorous self. 
And Paul elaborates, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, this is a beautiful metaphor that she might be holy and without blemish. And so, something I make a point of whenever I have the joy to officiate weddings is you see the bride and groom just stunning. Our culture mostly sees this as the goal, right? The goal, to to get to this point, to be beautiful. But this really, for especially Christians, is not only just the beginning, but this scene here is, is, it's a prophecy. This is meant to be a picture of who you will become. That as you do marriage in Christ by grace and the Spirit sanctifying you and maturing you into greater Christ-likeness, and ultimately as a foreshadow of Christ in the church, even in Revelation 21, in the Bible, the wife, the, the church is coming down in white. Right? And so this really, the white, I think here is, is I'm pretty certain it has Christian roots. Just why white as, as the bride's uh, garment. And so as husband and wife, and for those who are, of you who are married here, think back to that day. Think back to that day. As you made your vows, that wasn't the beginning. That, that's a prophetic picture of where God wants to take you. Okay? The, the beauty and the stunningness, the splendor that you're displaying, that's really meant to be a prophetic picture of your splendorous self in the future. And so this attitude is very important. We shared this at Men's New Community yesterday as we were talking about the discipline of, of marriage for men. Uh, men, this is Kent Hughes, men, ignoring for the moment our wives' spiritual responsibility to us, do you realize it is your responsibility to seek your wife's sanctification? Even more, honestly, do you accept it? Because if we're honest, men, if we don't have to lead, we don't want to, right? We just want to relax. But no, we're called to be leaders. So do you accept it? Marriage will reveal something about her which you already know about yourself, that she is a sinner. Marriage reveals everything, her weaknesses, her worst inconsistencies, the things others never see. And of course, please understand, Kent Hughes is also 100% assuming men's culpability, men's sinfulness as well, but he's addressing men in this moment. Loving your spouse is not to love her as a saint, but as a sinner. Now, on first read, I, I, I agree with him, and, and I agreed as much even yesterday, but as I was preparing just last preparation for today, my thoughts kind of developed a little bit, and, and I, I get his heart, but I, I want to I make it even more sharp like this. Loving your spouse is to love her as a sinner, loved by God as a saint. Until Christ calls us home, it's both and. We're, we're uh, sim- simultaneously sinner and saint. We're in, on the way. And so we need to see one another as a sinner loved by God as a saint, redeemed by grace. There's some built-in uh, healthy check and balances here because if you don't idolize your spouse and realize they're not perfect, that's good because then you won't have this unrealistic expectation of them and that they need grace as well. 
But you don't just leave them there. You don't enable them and just leave them as, as be. No, you keep praying for the work that God is doing in them, that he's begun. They're, they're a sinner loved by God as a saint, redeemed by grace through faith, being matured into Christ's likeness. And so I love this thought that I read uh, this week. Christian marriage is the union of not two perfect disciples, but two serious disciples, okay? Christian marriage is, is the union of not two perfect disciples, but two sincere and serious disciples. And so please, show grace to one another. And husbands especially, you have first responsibility to own that. I'm going to spiritually lead. One, what that means for one is I'm going to make my relationship with Christ a priority and to be secure in my manhood, my sonship, in him. And remember how he has loved me, that he's sanctifying me, the grace that I need. And then therefore, I'm going to overflow that and love my wife in this way as well. And so, uh, you know, for today, we'll, we'll just end it there. And we'll finish, we'll wrap up this passage next week. And so to end, um, if, as you've been listening to this passage being unpacked and there's something agreeing in your spirit or perhaps it's grating against your conscience, but you know that this is the direction that you need to be pulled toward. Would you just respond to God's word with me? And let's pray this prayer uh, as we read it. Lord, fill us with your spirit to faithfully live out gospel-reflecting wifehood and husbandhood, both as Christ's bride.